This is Increment Vice. The podcast that explores Paul Thomas Anderson's inherent vice, one scene at a time, with your host, Travis Woods. For a villainous organization with a name as bright and shiny sounding as the Golden Fang, boy, the forces of evil sure do make life as dark as possible for Doc, for Bigfoot, for the Harlingens. Hell, for everybody, including your humble narrator. Things are as dark as I've ever seen them. Which is why today's scene is such a shot of hope in a weary world. A portrait of kindness in a time when that word seems to have lost all meaning. Hey everyone. I'm just going to give a fair warning before we dive in today. That I'm going to do my best as your nerdy, loyally intrepid host not to break down into tears every five minutes in this episode but considering today's scene and its subject matter and the closeness of that subject matter to my heart and the fact that my heart like everyone else's in this year has been shit kicked into oblivion well you can't say that you weren't warned and before we take that dive together into what is inherent vice's most emotional most spine-shiveringly cathartic moment, I'd like to take a moment to read something written by today's guest. He wrote it after watching Bruce Springsteen's One Man Live Broadway show a few years back, and it's a passage that is shot through with so many of the themes that cohere in today's scene. It's a passage that also so captures what it feels like to see this scene for the first time, deployed as it is, amidst the conspiranoid chaos and confusion and mess that surrounds it within Inherent Vice's plot. And it captures what makes this moment so magical in the film and what makes this moment so magical right now. And here it goes. And we need something like this, especially now. It fills that space in us that's been craving something solid and substantial lately. So much seems uncertain, confusing, up in the air. There's a continual sense of things being on edge or at a turning point of some kind. And whether that's a crossroads or a point of no return is really anybody's guess. It all feels disorienting at best and debilitating at worst. Most days, though, it hovers somewhere in between, creating a perfect vacuum for anxiety to thrive. Spending two and a half hours in a small dark theater with Bruce Springsteen then becomes a necessary antidote. Like many of the very best spiritual traditions, it restores and replenishes. His words, his music, his story gives us back a part of ourselves, briefly buoying our battered hearts and reminding us that we are capable of so much more, that our better angels are still in there somewhere and can survive this moment too, as long as we don't entirely neglect or abandon them. And son of a bitch, we're what, three minutes into this and I wanna start crying, but I'm not gonna do it, I'm not. That's that's gonna be five minutes from now. So with that, please welcome the founder 
and editor-in-chief of the greatest independent website for film criticism and exploration, Brightwall Dark Room, as well as obviously a writer in his own right and a therapist, and the man of infinite, infinite, infinite patience with my fucking neurotic writer bullshit, my editor-in-chief, Mr. Chad Perman. Hey, thank you for coming on today. Hello, Travis. Thank you so much. That was like every guest says, but uh, that was awesome. Thank you so much. Well, maybe you'll go easier on me on the next deadline, well, I figure. I, if I, I, don't, I... I don't think I've uh, ever had my, my work read aloud back to me, so I was, I was ready to cringe, but well, you did it well, if I ever... Oh, this, this is going to be an emotional... Book out, go ahead and do the audio book <laughs> for me. Let's, let's sign it up. This is going to be an emotional moment for both of us, then. Yeah. Thank well, God I'm you're... Not... I was going to say, thank right God you're a therapist. How proud I am of you, too. Oh. Thing. Why, thank you. And thank God you're a therapist because you were going to hold my hand through this today, big guy. Yeah, I'm, I, I need I you. you because I am, I, am, I, am, I am falling apart already. <laughs> so, uh, how are you? How are you with things in general as we uh, teeter on the brink yeah, together? Right I mean, now? I, um, I say good most of the time, but that's, uh, I mean, my line to everyone who asked me is good considering. Oh, wow. You're good. You're doing good. Wow. Yeah, I'm doing good considering. No, I mean, good considering. Like, I, I'm not doing good in any normal sense of that word. Um, but I'm doing good today. Uh, oh, wow. Well, hey. To the fact that, you know, the world's on fire and uh, none of us yeah. left our homes in yeah. forever. And I haven't had a haircut in seven months and all that stuff. So, um, well, well, yeah, I would, no, so I'm not I doing good, good by any other year's standard. <laughs> but but uh, I'm doing okay. And I'm, you know, uh, been looking forward to this all day as, as uh, something to get me through the day. So, well, I'm glad you're good. I think, like everybody else, I'm feeling emotionally annihilated to a point uh, that whatever you want to call a soul or a spirit or a sentience or consciousness or a brain <laughs> in, a, in a vat, uh, an identity, whatever, has been reduced to a single sender of agonizing mm -hmm. pain, desperate for the universe to extinguish it out of its misery. Uh, but I guess that's, that's a pretty... <laughs> I've been there many times in the last few months, yeah. But yeah. I guess that the, that's an appropriate place to come at this scene. Um, and before we do that, though, before we do that, uh, you're, you're an Anderson fan from way back. Uh, yeah. I know that you're an Anderson guy, although I think we're going to quibble over your, perhaps your ranking of uh, best well, to worst. Because it changes every day. Well... You haven't asked seen, me in several months. <laughs> I've seen some things online, uh, and uh, I was always I always noted in Hair Vice's dubious placement uh, yeah, around look, second to last. Look at the date. Look at the timestamp. Well, how many years ago that was? Well, let's 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 go back then. Let's go oh, back yeah. to a much better year, a much happier year uh, when yes. we, you could be good, not considering. Uh, what was it like for you, Anderson fan that you are? You've got. Sydney and Boogie Nights and Magnolia and Punch Drunk Love and There Will Be Blood and The Master all under your belt. This yeah. this insane cinematic canon of of Anderson-esque Americana. You've got all that under your belt. And you sit down to watch Inherent Vice, a film by, I would assume, one of your all-time favorite filmmakers, adapted yep. from one of the greatest living American authors. You're watching it. What happens as you walk? What happens in your mind, and how do you feel when you're walking out of that theater? And it better have been in a theater. <laughs> it was in a theater, yes. Um, I can say I've seen I've seen every uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movie from Boogie Nights on in the theater. So, I, okay. Even once I had kids, I didn't make up theaters that much uh, or as much as I used to, but I, I always make exceptions. So yeah, definitely saw it in a theater. Um, I I listened to the podcast enough to know I'm not going to be in your your special club of. Uh, 
people that liked it the first time they saw it. The cool kids. <laughs> so have some patience with me. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like this is well-worn kind of territory by now, so I'll try to keep it shorter, but um, I was expecting something much different than that. Um, and, you know, my, my initial reaction was not deep, not uh, thought, I mean, I, I did everything I could to avoid. Uh, we actually ran a piece on it. Someone had seen it at a film festival. Um, and so I wouldn't even read the piece. I just let everyone agree, you know, on it without me and didn't, didn't read it when it went up. I had someone put it up on site. Wow. Um, so I was worried, but I did know the thing, which just seems to be the thing that everyone um, gets tripped up on, which I did, I did know the wackiness trailer. Um, I yeah. didn't know that it was supposed to, I mean, I heard Zucker Brothers, I heard, you know, uh, Airplane, I heard stuff like that. I think I saw a little bit in New York Times on accident once. So um, I was thinking something totally different. And I thought about it a lot. I, I, I think even if I would have known exactly what it was going to be, I still would have had a similar reaction. So I don't think that I'm used to having my, my expectations <laughs> completely subverted, uh, especially by Paul Thomas Anderson. But um, it was a special thing. I mean, we set it up to be a special thing. So that's probably part of the problem. I built it up a lot. Um, my best friend, I've uh, wrote about him years ago, but we, I've literally been best friends with him since the day I was born. He was like six months old and his mom and my mom were friends or you know, whatever. So he was at the hospital. So I mean, was, but we've been best friends since I've been born, um, but we don't get to see each other that much. So um, he lives all over the place throughout the years. And that's the main reason we haven't seen each other. But he had, lived, he had moved to Eastern Washington fairly, fairly close to the time this was released. And he was in town around the time of the release. And we're like, hey, this, this is a sign from the universe. Um, we got to do this. <laughs> You know, we both love Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, like we haven't gotten to see a movie together in a theater in at least a decade at that point. Um, so we, I mean, this was built up beyond all proportion. This was like, you know, lifelong best friend. Seen a movie the first time together in 10 years. You know, we saw Pulp Fiction in the theaters in 1994. So like we had a history of moments, wow. right? So we're all set. Um, problem number one was having a big meal and a beer right before. Um, because I'm just going to admit it up front. I told Ethan, like, I'm just going to say it so it doesn't, you know, doesn't catch me out. I, I, I straight up fell asleep about 20 minutes in. Oh, um, God, Jesus I slept, Christ. Chad. By my recollections, I slept about 10 minutes. Um, as you can imagine, if you fall asleep in the middle of an air advice and wake up, you're not happy. You know, there's no way to know how much time has passed. It could be, in the, <laughs> it could be you know, two hours. Um, so I still feel like those 20 minutes or, or 10 minutes were not what kept me from understanding it. I just was so disoriented by and I don't I don't go into his films anymore this way so that's probably for the better but I just was expecting a certain little phrase uh, like the a click of a well-made box you know and he, he made such perfect boxes that clicked so well for my brain and it didn't even have to do anything I just had to sit there and just watch it all unfold uh, and I knew that the click would come and I just kept waiting for that like where's the moment where it you know and this is me from a few years ago but where's the moment where it feels like it felt when I was, you know, in the theater and halfway through Boogie Nights, realized, oh my God, what this is amazing. You know, when's that moment going to come? Yeah. Um, and that was a mistake. I mean, I don't, I don't think I should approach any movies like that, but uh, I, I know approaching it that way, I was waiting for something that wasn't going to come in terms of the click, you know, or the like, okay, here, right, now I'm in the Paul Thomas Anderson land. I got this. I'm going. Um, I just got to sit back and let this take me over. This was before, you know, um, some of the other experiences that I've had with, with other films is like um, 
So like Phantom Thread, I wouldn't assume 100%, no click here, don't look for the click. I, I mean, I clicked with that movie from the first frame. I was like, I don't even know what's happening, but I just love everything about this. this wow. So, so anyway, not to bum you out, now I'm on the other end of the spectrum and I think- I'm all, I mean, I'm already bummed out and now you're just making it worse. <laughs> Well, but it's the redemption story because I, I love it. I love the it's a redemption, it's a redemption it's story. Probably, <laughs> prob well, I want to tie it into the scene. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like it's probably, I mean, I can say for sure it's the Paul Thomas Anderson movie I've watched the most. Oh, okay. I'll take that. And I, I apologize yeah. that I'm turning into Owen Wilson, uh, who plays Coy Harlinger, but he's going, wow, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Every time you say anything, but wow. You know, it's, well, well no, it's because I'm, I'm a, I, it's, if you ask me about any other reaction to any movie of his, the first time I was in, um, 100%, 110%, pro. Um, and I had to work on this one. And, um, and my friend felt the same way. So that kind of validated, like, okay, whatever that was, was not what we were thinking. Um, but we knew enough about you know, his films and, and the way he works to be like, okay, probably there's other stuff there. You know, if <laughs> probably. so much respect Maybe. I give the guy, like if, if I don't get the movie, it's probably my fault. Yeah. Um, well, so, you know, it's... yeah. So I went back to the well and I, you know, I did it in successive years um, for a while and now I'm up to, you know, well this year more because for this, but I probably watch three to four times a year every year. So that, um, that is worthy of a wow. Cause yeah, most normal so people I'm, don't even give it once a year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I just, one, it's it, it's comfort food if I want to ride that wave. It is um, my late night movie. Yeah, but two, it's it's something that if I want to dig into or pay attention to or there's so much there. find new things. Yeah, I mean, uh, as your podcast has more than um, elucidated, like yeah, of course. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a thing or three 40, to talk about there. How many hours are you on? Forty-five. Forget whatever. Oh, I mean, to talk about. this is episode forty-two, but some of those hours, some of these go way more than an <laughs> yeah. hour. So uh, yeah, if we're not so tickling a hundred hours yet, so much, are. so much there. Um, and that's part of what listening to um, most of the, you know, most of the episodes has has just proven to me all over again. It's just like, yeah, there's just so much here that we can be this far into the series. And on the one hand, I feel like, yeah, probably most of the stuff that's needs to be said or is super obvious to be said, but I guess has been said. But also, I'm probably gonna say something that no one else has said because that's the type of movie it is. Not because I'm amazing, yeah. but because the movie's amazing. <laughs> Happens once an episode, someone blows my mind and something yeah. never occurred to me. Not that everything should occur to me, but you would think, as I've watched this film so many times now to an embarrassing degree, yeah. you'd think I would have clocked most of these things. But usually once an episode, my hair will go shock white uh, as I realize this, this thing has been right in front of me the whole time. and I didn't see it. Speaking of the clicks, you call it the clicks. Um, yeah, well, I should say, I mean, if I, uh, it's a, it comes from an old poem, like from, I think it's Yeats or Yeats, or I can say that I'll embarrass my English degree self. But um, he, he talks about something, but the, the phrase was comes out as the click of a well-made box. Yeah. So it's kind of like this thing What's where it? It, I'm not a mathematical person, but that's like, that's math to me is like, yeah. I, I don't know how to do the math, but I know when it feels like math just happened <laughs> and it clicked and I clicked into it. And, and then, you know, David Foster Wallace talked about it for a while, sorry to bring him up and totally like be a film bro, but um, <laughs> he, he said in an interview and that, that phrase is stuck. I tried to work it into 30 different essays and never found a way to make it not look like I was just ripping off David Foster Wallace, but um, I just really like that idea of, we all know what that means. Like, you know yeah. what that phrase means when you hear it. Like, that well, clicks for me. It's interesting that you say Phantom Thread clicked for me from the opening scene, because that was a film for me. 
I didn't get the click until literally like the second to last sequence with the, the mushroom yeah, cooking sequence. And yeah. I was like, oh, well, hell, that's what this movie is? Oh, well, I can relate to that. I'm a pain in the ass. I know what that is. So I can totally relate to this. <laughs> um, but I didn't feel that like the whole time I was watching the movie going, my God, did he just make a straight up Merchant Ivory movie? Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's not exactly yeah. what I'm looking for with my PTA. And for the longest time, because I, I was at the LA premiere and the longest time I was sitting there going, the high point of my night is going to be telling Jeff Wells to go fuck himself when he asked if he could sit next to me. <laughs> like, that's going to be the highlight of my no, evening. No comment, it, it, but yeah. it, it's not seeing, <laughs> go ahead and comment, fuck him. Um, but uh, it, it's not going to be seeing PTA and the cast do a Q&A. It's not going to be watching this gorgeous movie in 35. It's going to be telling him off because I'm, I, I don't know what I'm looking at here. But yeah, I did, I did, I did feel that click at the end and it recontextualized the whole film for me. And I went back and I yeah. saw it. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, this, this, this film is, this is great. This is amazing. Now that said, what's interesting to me is I think one of the things that makes Inherent Vice so kind of hinky for people and so difficult for people is there are so many clicks. Uh, if, if, if I can steal that, it's that, <laughs> well, because you said, as you said, I think that the thematic thrust of this film has so many pieces to it so many so many pieces to the puzzle whether it's uh the political angle where it's whether it's regret for for things and people lost and loves lost and how that permeates the film in so many different ways um there are the way that you we've talked in this show so many times that you can peel every scene apart like an onion and you just find it is so multi-layered and so armed to the teeth with things that support the film's thesis that you know you could almost argue any scene has a click but i would i would say i would say that ultimately if there is a scene and we'll talk about this in a bit <laughs> i kind of feel like for me this is the click scene or this that this is the moment where i feel that if you aren't on the movie's wavelength yet, or if you're watching going, what the fuck? Didn't we just, didn't we figure out where Wolfman was like an hour ago? Like, why are we still watching the movie? Isn't that why, isn't that what we started looking for? We know where he's at. We know where Shasta's at. So what, what is this? I feel like this is the click moment where PTA is going, no, this is, this is why I made this movie. This is what this movie is about. And it's interesting that you say that there was no click and then here you are talking about what I think is the, to keep, I'm just going to keep hammering that word in the ground. This is the click scene. Uh, this is for me the moment where I, this is the moment that I point to for anyone who does not like this movie. And I'm always just, just, just make it to that scene. I know it's basically the end of the movie, yeah. so you're going to rewatch the whole thing. But that's just, the scene that tells you. Just, like just make it, make yeah, make it to what is this? This is like the. There's like uh, two scenes just wait after two this. Two hours and nine yeah. minutes, and then it's gonna, it's gonna. It's hit. all gonna go. Well, hell, that's what I did with Phantom Thread, and it paid off yeah, just sure. fine for me. Um, but you make it to the scene, you're like, well, son of a bitch, that's what it is. Okay, um, and we'll get into why I think that is the case later. But um, I, I do believe this to be the click scene. I think that this is a scene that stands out. It is very, I think tonally different i think visually it's different and i think you know there's there's a there's been a running joke on this show about the two sides of pta's career the first oh, half yeah. being coke kid and yeah and the second yeah. half is, is is weed dad and i feel like this is a moment that kind of returns to the warmth of coke kid say what you will about that coke kid he had a big heart on his sleeve and um this is a moment that feels of a piece with God only knows at the end of Boogie Nights. 
this is a, a, a scene that feels very. Only knows the song by itself. Um, oh, well, yeah. Why not throw that on top of this? That, that would have worked. No, no. I just heard the song and it's enough. To... We're oh god, I must start crying again. Um, but you know, this is of a piece with that. This is of a piece with, um, uh, Officer Jim Curring telling Melora Waters yeah, at the true. end of Magnolia that you are a good and special person. I can't do the monologue because I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break that. This has been a rough <laughs> week, everybody. This has been a rough week for the kid. And I'm not going to do that speech because I'm going to start bawling. Um, but this is, you know, um, Sandler uh, in, in bed going, I just want to bite the shit out of your face so bad. I just, it's so beautiful. I want to smash it. This is all those things. And I feel like this is the version of we dad doing that big heart on the sleeve mm. Coke kid thing. And I'm going down a tangent here, uh, which will surprise no one, including you, who is, who is <laughs> doggedly had to edit my work for the past couple of years. But um yeah, this is the moment for me. This is the moment. This is the moment I point to. This is like if, if yeah. you don't love this, then then I don't know why you don't. I I don't know how you can not love this. And if you if you if you can love this, you'll love the rest of the movie if you know <laughs> that this is where it's going. If this is what it's all feeding into. But before we get there, I'm gonna go back to chastising you for falling asleep in the middle of uh, yes. a first time watch of it. a masterpiece by a master, <laughs> a masterpiece by a master. This is your first time. And you doze. And in the first 20 minutes, which I think are the easiest and most galvanizing for a person who maybe is not this kind of film specific audience, that's Mm -hmm. that's when the richest stuff is happening. Yeah, I would say, come on. I would absolutely say 90% of movies at that moment in time, I would have fallen asleep at. So it was not not meant as a comment on the movie as much as it was meant on the fact that I had a a full meal and good conversation and a beer with my friend. Literally, like it's, it's across the across across the something from the theater so we're right there we just literally walked very full very content we're like here comes a masterpiece let us have the masterpiece we are here to consume it wow Um, my best friend's right next to me we are we're just ready for it and uh what a debauched way to see a movie waddling yeah, full, mean, I, like a I, like I a Roman like, emperor, full like of a, uh, full of spices no and sauces. There was no way this one wasn't going to work for me, based on the little I knew. About it. So, um, wow. But no, I, and again, it, it's not a it's not a problem with the film. It was a problem with the way I was approaching the film, um, and, I, and I'm very happy to admit that because I was thinking, <laughs> you know, I mean, look at look at the openings of geez, Boogie Nights or Magnolia, like that, it grabs you completely right there. It says, here's a movie, you're going to watch a fucking movie and you're going to be blown away. I'm taking you on a ride. Here we go. Both time, I mean, just at, like right there, there's no doubt, right? So, well, yeah, I can see your face, but hold on. But, but Chad, Phantom Thread starts it, with a man brushing his hair and putting on socks. Come on. Oh, I know, but, but, but this is, this is my earlier in my progression. <laughs> I, I, I approach Phantom Thread very differently. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, in a, in a pro- and again, yes, no, there will be blood. Absolutely, has a wordless what five minutes. Yeah. So he'd already drifted away from that. So I, I get it. But I, I was certainly thinking like, and again, the probably bit that I knew about it, the little bit that I'd read, whatever my expectations were. I had not read the book. I was like, okay, here's I'm gonna get basically the best of everything because uh, I should say, um, the, the my friend, I should, his name's Matt. So I can call him my friend. So my friend Matt. Um, we our whole lives were built around slapstick goofy movies so and, and this oh. wrote several years ago so we i mean we to this day still text one-liners from you know spies like us or some, some random chevy chase movie from the 80s that no one else on the planet is probably going to get and we just both will laugh for the rest of the day because one of us texted so 
airplane was a big part. I mean, we were airplane two fans. Like we're probably the biggest <laughs> fans of airplane two. We saw hot shots together as kids. Like we were, we were like, this is Paul Thomas Anderson who we love. And it's going to be the Zucker brothers somehow. I couldn't figure that part out, but I was like, somehow that's going to be in there. He's going to do that even better. It's going to be like, air, it's going to be just so amazing. And then, you know, it starts off and of course it's not at all that movie. And you get that from like minute two. You're like, yeah. oh, <laughs> okay. There's not going to be any trombone whistles in this one. Um, <laughs> Although there so, are. I mean, there, there oh, yeah, are no, moments. There are moments. That's, that's, that's that the very high comedy. Now, that loose limb, I think it's comedy. hilarious. Yeah. I mean, I, I, laugh, I laugh my ass off at it now. Um, but it just was not broad in any way. Not that I'm look, looking for a broad movie, but I just thought this was going to be. No, I mean, I, I think everybody kind thing. of went into that movie yeah. expecting, you know, from the files of Police Squad or something yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, that's where my head was at. And I was like, I have no idea what Paul Thomas Anderson's version of that is, but whatever that is, that's 100% going to be my favorite movie on the planet. And well, it I... was this other thing, which I actually love more probably because I had to work so much harder to like figure out, okay, what is going on here? Like, I know there's something going on here that I am well, not getting. I actually kind of think that this is his version of that. Like, I think that he thinks well, that this is actually point. quite funny. Like, I think, you know, I can hear him and doing do that too, thing now. he does where he's like, I don't know, man, just tried to come up with some funny jokes on the day, make people laugh. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, just, you know, I worked with Sandler. I know how to do it. I've seen it done. Um, and it's a, uh, what I think is interesting is, you know, I think you could also argue that I think that this film probably, well, it's neck and neck with Boogie Nights for traversing the greatest tonal breadth, I think, of yeah. any of his work. I mean, Boogie Nights maybe a little bit more because I think, you know, the humor in Boogie Nights is so over the top sure. broad at some at time. Like, you know, yeah. you know, people say I look a lot like Han Solo. Uh, you see that movie? Yeah. Um, yeah but then, you know, two oh, hours later parody of you know <laughs> of those documentaries I mean, yeah yeah and then like, was... but then like two hours later you've got you know the colonel uh being beaten uh and raped in prison uh that's a, that's a, that's, a, that's quite a that's quite a, a kind ground of, kind to cover there. there yeah uh but i would say that um no uh, none of his films zigzags quite as hard as this one does where you'll have one scene which is just utterly emotionally devastating and then in the next scene, you have Doc doing rabbit punches as he's getting knocked out in uh, yeah, exactly. a uh, massage trailer. And uh, but I, I, I would argue I, I I would not be surprised if PTA defended this as his slapstick movie. Yeah. You know, well you know. And again, I would I would be willing to uh, get on board with that argument um, now. <laughs> I mean, I, I do I do think I would argue that it's one of his funnier movies. Uh, well, I want to. At the do time, so. it was not what I was. You know. And well, I want to say really quick too, mistake yeah. number two. Uh-oh. After, after waking up, feeling like, okay, the, the reason I can't follow anything that's happening is because I have been asleep for X amount of time. Did you ask Matt what happened? I didn't. I was, I was too embarrassed to even tell him. This might be, he might hear this, and this might be the revelation that, he, that I was out for like 10 minutes. Because <laughs> um, he, because he's, he was awake for the whole thing, and he didn't understand it either. So I was like, okay, yeah, great. All right. Perfect. I didn't miss it. Matt but, probably but, wouldn't have helped what, you much. No. I, I, and I, I did just checking with him by the way this morning to be like hey do you remember like when he said he, he remembered all the stuff i did but he's not watched the film since and he, he just thought like i should probably see this again and i was like oh my god how have i not told you i've been watching this and he's like, damn it matt yeah but matt's wonderful <laughs> um but well, but the the so the mistake that i made was trying to figure trying to spend the rest of the movie once i was like trying to figure out what was going on instead of enjoying what was happening um that's which the is mistake. absolutely a thing that i can fall into uh, yeah all the time 
So, um, so I, I approached her wrong to begin with, and then I fell asleep. I, I'm asking for mercy from the court. And then, you know, when I woke up, I spent the rest of the time being like, and who's this? And did I miss, was I asleep during the part when they said who the hell this guy is? And Probably not, actually. Yeah, um, no, it wasn't. A, I mean, once but... I watched it again, I was like, oh, no, I don't even know which part I was asleep for, honestly. <laughs> no, I mean, but that's the joy of inherent vice is you can sleep for 10 minutes and jump right back in and you probably you will not miss a step. Point. You yeah, can, you can actually skip podcasts. a scene or two and... But that is only because I think the film is such a steady accretion, such a work of cumulative thematic detail that because all of these scenes are so densely layered with these themes that are all pointing in the same direction that you can miss this or that and come back and still get emotionally what you need on a gut level. But you do have to you do have to kind of let go upstairs a little bit. Um, which sounds like a very doc thing to say, but you do, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta like, you gotta take your hands <laughs> yeah, off the yeah. wheel and you just gotta trust this can stay between the ditches. Um, so that said, um, this, I'm going to get in your head a little bit where I'm going to, I'm going to get in the therapist chair now. Right. And, um, I feel like you are just from having, you know, worked with you and spoken with you for the last couple of years. Um, I, if I were to pick a Chad movie, I do not think that I would ever throw a dart at Inherent Vice. Uh, no. I do think if you were trying to pick a Travis movie, Inherent Vice is the one you would immediately go to out of PTA's oeuvre. I don't, um, I don't know. Really? No. You think there's another yeah. one? You, you, so you think that a I movie mean, other I've, than I've, the, I've, the, the, I've the, the detective? I've had you for a guy for a long time, but I, I know you that's almost there. A master but, guy. Um, yeah. But because for, there's even more to project onto that. <laughs> I will still hold that out. And I, I wow, we might have to take a detour to find out what Travis stuff yeah. you you think I'm projecting on the master. Oh, we'll get there. Don't worry. Oh, we'll, shit. We'll, all right. We'll find out all about you. I will say, I will say I'm a brief, brief, well, not brief pause. Everybody, you can listen. Um, I do think, and I'll try to do this without crying either, that the most moving, powerful, perfect sequence in Paul Thomas Anderson's career is the moment when these two people who love each other so much love each other more than anything maybe they find in each other the one person they actually love more than them they love themselves are sitting across from a desk with each other and recognizing that they cannot be together and the way that philip seymour hoffman implores joaquin phoenix to just he's like or you can come and be with me and the way a single tear rolls down Joaquin Phoenix's cheek, and he says, "Maybe in the next life." Yeah. I oh fuck, um, yeah. that's that's hard, Chad. That's really fucking hard. Yeah. And then uh, and then he sings "Slow Boat to China." Um, that is maybe the most beautiful slash heartbreaking moment I have seen in a film this century. Wow. Um, I am lo- I am looking directly away from you right now because I can't I even make eye contact with you over. Um, but yeah, the, um, the idea that there is someone you love more than anything in the world and you know that they love you too, but there's some, there's some, there's something broken in you that keeps that from happening is that is the most tragic thing in the universe to me. And I also think that that's something that spilled over into inherent vice, because I think that that is a thread that runs through deep between, um, Doc and Shasta Faye. I think that in a weird way, um, the master and inherent vice would make a good double feature with one another because, 
I think one of the oh, major absolutely. throughways of both films is, as he, as PTA said yourself about uh, Shasta Faye, he's like, haven't you, there was someone asking about that interview and he's like, haven't you had that one old lady, man? Like, you just can't let her go. You just can't stop worrying, wondering who she's, who she's, be, who she's with, what she's doing. Does she think of me? Does she miss me? Does she know I feel the same way? Like that's, that's all in there, man. Boy. Wow. Look how ably you turned this into, um, getting into my head when i was threatening to get into yours how machiavellian of you you didn't you 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 took advantage of my natural narcissism and i started talking about myself my god um i was gonna it did it did did prove the to the point that the that's why i had you pegged for a mess like yeah i mean i think that uh i must have heard you talk about this and before we before you told me you were going to write on inherent vice a few years ago um a couple years ago how long has it been I don't remember. I blocked that. Pro- I blocked that entire. Okay. I blocked that entire uh, process out. So at least, at least, at least, probably two years ago, right? Yeah, something anyway, like that. Whenever that was, um, I did not. I would not have until that moment thought that this was the movie that for you. Um, not not because of anything I knew about you at the movie, just because. Yeah, I would have guessed. I mean, to be fair, I guess a master for almost any guy between twenty and fifty. <laughs> But is that the is that the is that the new PTA bro movie is the master? <laughs> it's not. It's like it, well, I mean, that's the thing is, is it's kind of a way to prove like, and I don't, and I know that you're doing it this way, and I, and I certainly have had it in and out of my top five many times in my life, for all time top five. Um, and I'm not doing this, but I think it's the movie, and this is a Chad theory, so I could be totally wrong, that film bros put in their top ten to make it look like there's not film bros like. <laughs> Check out how sensitive I am. This movie doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, <laughs> I like Fight Club, but I also like The Master. I've got layers. Oh, yeah. God. Um, and I think that he gives you enough. And that's the thing. Like, I think one of the many amazing things about it is there almost any kind of movie lover is going to find something to love in most Paul Thomas Anderson movies. They're not going to sure. like the entire movie. You know, I think there's those of us that are really into him and really into movies at the level we are. are like, oh, my God, everything about almost everything he puts out is amazing but when you break it down into like i always use my wife as like the normal the normal person that i know <laughs> like she likes movies she can take them early right mm-hmm. um her life is not in any way built around me so she can watch a movie be like yeah i kind of like this part i kind of like that part i'm like oh my god this is a masterpiece let's talk about it for like five hours and she's like yeah it was pretty good <laughs> so i mean so she likes parts of paul Thomas. she loved boogie nights and i think mm-hmm. boogie nights is kind of designed to be unless you're um, extremely um, prudish or religious or whatever because of the porn angle it's designed to be like enjoyable the way goodfellas like it, it's really hard well, i mean it is built on the like... goodfellas chassis it's <laughs> yeah, built know, on exactly. the goodfellas chassis but, i mean but it's even more like because some people say oh goodfellas is you know and certainly that's been in the, the twitter verse in the last year um you know there, there's a, a lot more masculine stuff in goodfellas than there is in sure i mean there's plenty of masculinity stuff but the, i think you can get more people to watch boogie nights as long as they're okay with the porn but yeah, um, and I think that it's just built to like just there's comedy there, there's just everything in there, right? And then you you know remember that he was like 27 when he made it, and then you just cry for a few days and mourn your own life. Um, but yeah, there's always stuff, and and I would say an inherent vice like that's that's kind of what I felt like I was in the position of someone who normally doesn't like it. Like, where's the part that I can be like, okay, this is what I like. Um, and again, and now I find that I, I still don't know. I could like you very um, eloquently have made a lot out of this scene being your favorite. I have no idea what my favorite movie. I mean, the obvious Neil Young, yes. But other than that, I have no idea what my favorite part of this movie is. Other than I just really like watching it every time I watch it a lot. 
I get that. I'll accept that. I'll I'll yeah, lessen my to dig into or, or I'll I'll, I'll lessen my attacks on you because yeah. of that. Um I will say though that yeah, this is my PTA movie for me because hey, it's got the wayward fuck up detective. It's just trying to do one thing right. And yeah. which is like basically I and feel we're, like I should we're gonna find out tonight why. why I, I why feel like that, I should trade that guy for you. Oh why why is that? Why is that guy my guy? Yeah. Uh probably because that, of that... having spent a life of wayward fuck uppery as as one okay. as I as as I have uh, you kind of hope that one day there's uh, some redemption down the line. That um, yeah. don't you, don't you, don't you, don't, don't oh, we're gonna get real deep now. Don't you, don't you look at mistakes you've made. Don't you look at the oh, problems you've caused, and then you hope that it's all building towards something. That that road is a maybe even the things that make you bad, or the may the, the, the things the things in you that have driven you to your mistakes will also be the things that, if given the right moment, given the right opportunity, will allow you to do something that no one else can and actually do something good, do that 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 one good thing that, that actually matters, that, that means that that everything that has happened up to that point that, that you regret, that you that you feel sorrowful about, that everything that has happened at that point will have had a reason or a meaning then. Come on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And who who I mean, I think who better to do that than who better to do that than, than the uh, the wayward detective? Who who usually yeah. has more of an opportunity to do that one good thing to be willing to risk everything. Yeah. Which isn't much usually, but it's everything to the detective to be able to risk everything to do that one thing. That's that's, that's pretty special, I think. That's something. And I'm I'm certainly not uh not arguing that it's not a fantastic scene or that I I don't get goosebumps or or the feelies from it now. Um it's more about, sorry, I probably should have said this first. Um, I see, especially in this movie, and especially, I mean, you're, again, the work you've done over the last year or so to put together all these episodes for almost, what, 47, whatever number we're on. Um, 42, I prove, think. Just proves this point even more because, well, I should say the point first. It, it, of all of his movies, and of all movies in jokes, I, I tend to think of a lot of movies as basically rorschach tests um i mean it's not going to be surprising to anyone that knows like yeah i started by walter Krueger, and that's kind of what it's all about it's like great tell you know there's technical aspects to the movie there's was it good was it bad in whatever world you want to be in that i don't care about that stuff i want to know what in this movie just spoke to you i, I want to know what about this why did it pull that reaction in me why did it do that you know, because what that does is it says a lot about what you're bringing into it right um so you walking into the theater in 2014, me walking into the theater in 2014, two very different people walking into two very different experiences, right? So already you've got a little bit going on where it's like, okay, I'm not just watching the movie. I've also brought myself to this movie. Yeah. And then you've got this thing, which as you're, again, this is the part that your show's been great at, is showing like, I, I mean, I haven't listened to every episode, but I've listened to a lot of them, and there's nobody telling you the same take or theory. Like, you know, that's probably your horror version of this show. It's like everyone comes on and says the same thing every week everybody says something different yeah and the reason that is is because every one of those people is different everyone brings every one of them the has a different thing and, and so yeah so we can't like sit here and talk about this movie that can be interesting interestingly discussed for 50 plus hours um and, and i'll talk about the fact that like i think paul tom has set it up like that i think i mean you've, you've made plenty of uh funny uh impressions or jokes of him just he refuses to explain anything and i don't think that's just some cop out like i don't want to do the work to explain it i think he really like sets them up like that i, I have no idea because of the way he doesn't talk too much about his own background or 
psychology. Um, I have no idea what the psychology is behind that guy, but it's <laughs> fascinating to me because well, he keeps putting these things out into the universe that people can read anything into. And then some people say, I'm not going to tell you what the movie's about. Five years later, they're telling you everything the movie's about. Yeah. He has still not explained <laughs> so much. And he probably never will. And, I, and if he doesn't, if he goes to the grave, never explain that that will be amazing because then it will allow them to live on as these things that you can bring yourself to it. You can have your own idea of it. That's what actually matters. So that's why I'm fascinated by why do you like, and again, you don't have to answer right now. You can build, (laughs) but how is this movie taken over your life? And and what is that about? So, and I'm sure I'm not the only person listening to the show who wants to know that. So we can get to that later, but. Well, I mean, I kind of didn't. I didn't. I just didn't. I just tell you. Didn't I just tell you, you a little yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah. Um, but you did it in kind of like a like defensive, like uh, <laughs> defensive. Like, that, that, like no, like that. I was you spare me the psycho babble, Chad. No, but that you had to prove it to me. Like, and I know that's why mm. I said, no, no. Let me. Refer, uh, I'm not well, it. it's a great. I mean, scene. well, shit. If it's it. it's emotional scene, uh, or it's a yeah, it's a heavy scene. So we'll we'll, we'll talk about why right now. You know, I, I think. But I mean, I think I did. I mean, I said I'm. I I, I think well. I, yeah I I think that I think that um, as I have gotten as I've gotten older um, I think uh, I think that as someone who's gotten older who is not religious and I am not you know I'm I, I don't think that there's some eternal reward coming to me or anybody else for that matter and so I'm looking for what's here what's in front of me what's what's what what is corporal and real and i think that like a lot of people you start to get a little older although when i tell people my age they roll their eyes and like oh yeah you're not old um but i've got white hair in my beard god damn it more than you have in yours chad i don't um, have any yet <laughs> son of a bitch with his boyish good looks um but uh I feel like I have come to a place where I don't know. I think as uh, as as God, wow, wow, we're getting real here, aren't we? As 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 cheesy as the word sounds, because it's been overused in movies and stories. I think, I think what we all are looking for, if we don't like, I, I don't, I don't have kids. I don't want kids. Um, so I I don't find I I don't think I would be able to access it via the idea of a family but i think we're all looking for a, something redemptive something redeeming yeah. in our lives Absolutely. and from uh from even when i was a little kid and uh, you used this <laughs> you used this word once when you guessed about my childhood you said i assume it was unsupervised um okay. you did based on the movies i said that i watched but i remember oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember I watching supervised childhood so I, I mean i was left to my own devices <laughs> a lot of the time um, I, I remember as a really little, well, not really little, it was like nine and I saw Silence of the Lambs on VHS. Holy cow. Nine. And wow. yeah, and I wasn't bothered by the, the, the violence and stuff like that and horror never really bothered me. I was a horror kid anyway, but I remember looking at, um, I remember watching that movie and I remember looking at Clarice Starling and I remember mm-hmm. that being the moment for the very first time that I realized that these giants around me, these adults, they want, they're interested in the same types of character and mythos that I was looking for when I was watching He-Man and I was yeah. watching, uh, you know, uh, shit like that. Huh? I said I watched He-Man, that was my show. <laughs> but yeah, what, but, but, 
but like you know i i knew i knew that when i i knew that when i was a kid watching these 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 stories about hero shit that i was watching what i thought was kid stuff that was made for kids i had an awareness of that and and you know i would see action movies and stuff and you would see that same kind of hero shit but i was also aware that like something like commando was was stupid that, that adults thought that was stupid um and that was like a kind of stupid that kids could get excited about watching if you could get a parent to let you sure. watch commando um and it but but the silence of the lambs i knew was a was a serious film yeah that was a grown-up movie that was not for kids to watch not in a fun way like die hard was a fun film to watch when you're a kid and i i remember watching that and i remember being awestruck uh to the point of tears that adults wanted the same thing that i did they were looking for that character that would risk everything that would sacrifice everything to the point of almost mythos because if you look at clarice and boy we're doing the thing we're doing the increment vice thing we go really far afield um but she's too far off is she is she's the warrior that goes into the woods to rescue a princess from an evil dragon and there's a bridge troll giving her riddles that she has to figure out <laughs> to to get to the to to kill the dragon and save the princess that's all that that is literally all that film is and that she doesn't do it for recognition and she doesn't do it for even she doesn't even do it to to, to just be a hero that there is that there is something in her and that there is something in her past that has damaged her permanently. And she thinks, and that the, the idea that she can use the thing that makes her damaged, which is the the screaming of the lambs, that that drive to silence them will push her further than anyone else would be willing to go. That would make her willing to go further than anyone else would go to kill the dragon and save that girl. And the idea that the thing, brokenness is her superpower. The thing that breaks you is the thing that maybe, 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 like uh, look at uh, Martin Riggs in Lethal Weapon. You know, like, I do it real good, you know. <laughs> and what's that? He's like, you know, I kill the guy in high wind, you know, however many hundreds of yards away. It's the only thing I've ever been good at. And that's the one thing that is used to save his partner's family at the end of that perfect film. Um, the idea, the and, and I think that the detective is the character that leverages that uh, most in cinema and in the pulp books that I read, which is, the idea that the person who is an outlier, who is messed up, who has made the mistakes, who has messed up the life, um, uh, is also the person who maybe today will be the day that they don't lose because the thing that has always made them lose is the one thing that's going to come in handy that no one else has. And they're going to they're gonna turn to him and be like, we need you now. And boy, we have, this is such a digression, but that I think is that idea, that idea of that kind of redemption, because it's not, you, you, not only are you being redeemed, the thing in you that is broken is being redeemed. The thing that, the thing that you have carried around like a dead weight your whole life, turns out there was a reason you had to carry that. Um, Or at least you found a reason to carry that. And I am going to bite the side of my mouth so I don't start crying. (laughs) But that to me, I, this is PTA. PTA is one of my all-time favorite filmmakers. And this is his film where he explores that idea. There's a reason why Once Upon a Time in Hollywood fucked me up the way that it <laughs> fucked me up. Because it's a story about characters who have been carrying that weight for far too long. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, history gives them an opening. History yeah. gives them a place to go through and go, hey, I can, I can do something with this. 
Um, and they don't even, don't even think about it consciously. I don't think Clarice even thinks about it consciously. She just knows I can do something here. The, the, the screaming of the lambs is gonna allow me to do something here. And I look at Doc Sportello and I look at the things that he carries and the things that he's gone through. And I think he looks at this situation and in this moment of, or in the, the pre scenes previous to this one, the golden thing gives him an opening to use what he is, to use who he is. And all of a sudden a light go, goes on over his head. He's like, hey, that Harlingen case, I might be able to pull something here. I might be able to make some moves here. Um, there's a moment where he bumps into Koi at the- Pause for a second to stick a pin in. A light doesn't go off in his head. Someone possibly in his head or possibly a real character asks what's name he had in most. But hold up, we'll get back to that. <laughs> a well, light does look, not go off in his head. He does well, not come to that. Listen to this man is editing me real time. Real time <laughs> editing me I on, my, because on my show. It's, it's, it's gonna, I, I only wrote down one little point to make because I know like Ethan came to all these notes and I was like, I gotta make something. So I just wrote a pick. I'll get to it later, but that's, the, I need to pin that moment because I think that's a pivotal part of it. It's like. Fair, fair. I'll, I'll, I'll say my point later. I don't want to cut off your flow because I'm, I'm really. Well, you already did. So. Jeez. Yeah. But uh, no, I just think that that is why, that is why Inherent Vice is special to me because, you know, I do love PTA. And if I, I mean, the perfect, beautiful, heartbreaking, slow boat to China scene uh, from the master side. Um, this is the film that has all of my stuff. This is, yeah. this is the film that speaks my language. This is the film that has all the noir tropes. This is the film that has um, the messy romantic stuff between Doc and Shasta. This is the film that has the weirdo toxic masculinity stuff in the form of Bigfoot, um, which as someone who has edited my work that always pops up. Uh, this is just the, this is just the one. This is it lights me up like a pinball yeah. machine uh, every yeah, single time. It, it it has all the stuff that I look from for. That. Yeah, <laughs> we've all gotten to hear a, a whole lot of good stuff just because it lit you up. But that, that's why I'm. That's always been my question. Listening to the shows, like, okay, I get that you love it. I get all the good things about it, and I, I'm more than happy to geek out about that with you in a bit. But I also want to know, like, why why this one? Because that that's it didn't feel like a slack question. It felt like I had to ask you. <laughs> Um, because um, oh no, you've already answered it. But I because mean, Doc gets to be here. Yeah, because yeah. Doc gets to be Doc. Doc, the trailer of all things, the trailer says it best. Um, he ain't a do-gooder, but he's done good. Mm. That 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 that, that line that it's it's not a line in the film. It's a one-off from the trailer, uh, which is very much not like the film. But uh, that no. one line, <laughs> um, that one line, he ain't a do-gooder, but he does good. I mean, who doesn't aspire to that? Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't no, think they exactly. might find a solution to their whole life in um, if they could be described in that way? And that's uh, that gets to me. Yeah, no, I wow. get that. Yeah. Wow, you you pulled me you pulled me down onto the the therapist couch pretty quick. Yeah. There. Well, we're almost at me. the end of the series. I mean, this is one of those starts <laughs> to reveal, pull back the curtain a little bit. I, I you've torn me open. Here I am. I'm letting it all yeah. out now. Um, but yeah, yeah. That, it, it, no, that's fascinating though. I mean, I, I would have guessed. Yeah, that I, I would not have guessed. Sons of the Lambs at nine, staying on that path. Well, I, I, I mean, but I don't it makes a lot of sense. I don't I mean, recommend that everyone show the their things child. Things that you've been bringing up have been, I mean, yeah, they're all of a piece. Like a, a broken person with something in their past, then can use that thing to do a good thing in the world. Like, and if they can use that thing, the Chad, right if they can use that thing, it's okay that they're broken, and that's yes. where I'm going to start crying. Fuck. Um, <laughs> that's there. the that's the point. If they can. If you can use the thing that has made you feel ruined your whole life, then 
I don't know. Maybe there gets to be a life mm-hmm. after that. Maybe there gets to. Maybe you're a little less ruined. Maybe. Maybe it's well, okay I mean, like, that you've had that your whole life. And, and, and that's that's not. I don't, don't want to get you balling, but it is of course <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I mean, that's the whole point. And I yeah. think that you know, uh, the, when I put my therapist hat on, which I, I try try not to have on all the time, so I don't, you know, so I can have some friends in the world. Um, <laughs> but when you when you put that on, I mean, it makes a lot of sense because it just the idea that you know i mean there's there's the the side of you coming to that movie that way saying like okay well i mean because who doesn't feel broken in some way i've, I've never sure. met that person well i've met that person that won't admit that they're broken you know like the malignant narcissist like it's easy to point to trump now because everyone yeah. sees that but there's there's lesser versions of that they'll never get there but everyone else with any kind of you know reflection or empathy feels broken in some way and everybody wants to think that serves a purpose. And I think that the, you know, the good news is from what I've seen over the last 15 years of being a therapist is it almost always does. Um, you have to be willing to do the work to use it and you have to get okay with it. But can you use the, the broken parts of you in some way to become the strong empowered parts of you that do good in the world? Absolutely. I mean, there's, uh, I mean, probably the, one of the big things that got me into therapy, um, well, well, as a client, but then as a therapist, um, what was the idea of like the wounded healer? And I think like, you know, I'm jumping ahead of my points here, but, um, but Doc is a wounded healer. And it's a Jungian idea, if you're not familiar with it, it just basically means like, this person has been through shit, hence knows how to help people with shit. Um, I mean, that's wow. obviously Jung didn't say it that way. But yeah. the idea is, I mean, in the therapist world anyway, there's the idea, it's kind of a split thing in our culture where they either think therapists are these people that have no problems or they think therapists are complete fuck-ups, you know, because how they're always portrayed on TV is like they're messes. Um, but the reality is a lot of them are wounded. A lot of the reasons effective therapists are effective is because they know what they're talking about on some level, even if they don't know the actual issue. They just know in a way that you don't know if you've had a, a life that didn't cause you any problems. Um, you can sympathize, but you can't empathize at that level. And I think that Doc, you know, um, to get, I have no idea if this is actually in there. I'm, this is my Rorschach version. But I think that, you know, Doc sees a lot of all, I think that he sees in Coy someone, a path he could have gone down. Uh, or that he even flirts with throughout the movie as he's starting to ingest harder drugs than we, you know. Um, like, there, there is a version of Doc that ruins his life even more than he already felt that he's ruined it. And he wants to redeem that. And he has no idea how to do it himself. So why not? I mean, it's not why not. But wouldn't it be great if he could help someone else in the situation? Yeah. Like he says, this doesn't sit well with me. A guy, a, a guy growing up without seeing a dog doesn't sit well with me, right? Like there, there's his hero's journey right there. Like this doesn't sit with me. Now, and once you've identified, here's the thing that I can do that can make up for whatever fuck-ups or other things I've done, now I have a purpose, right? Now I can use – now all that wasn't in vain, I guess would be the way to say it. I didn't go through that for nothing. And that's and that's what gets me always, when, whether it's a, you know my own life or – working with a client or watching a movie like this, that's that's when I get the, the tears. It's like, yeah, it wasn't for nothing. Oh, I mean, they're, they're streaming down my cheeks as we speak. God, <laughs> uh, I knew this would happen too. <sighs> I, can't, I can't invite a therapist on to I know, this was a mistake. This, scene and, yeah. this was, some, this was a mistake to do on, on this week of all it. weeks. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? You know what we're going to do? Let's do it. Let's watch it. Yeah, let's do that. And uh, I'm going to give my nose a big honk. And uh, we'll be back in a second. Uh, 
It's cool. I'm officially off everybody's payroll. Burst Dodger just called me personally. You're a dangerous hombre. Some hippie made that up, man. You saved your own life, man. Now you get to live it. So we've gotten deep today. Um, I want to start by, I want to talk a little bit about the pretty incredible sleight of hand uh, that I think Anderson pulls here in that. um, So the first time you watch the film, or I assume the first time, if you stay awake the whole time, which not (laughs) everyone here has done. we spend so much temporal real estate uh, going through the film the first time thinking it's about, speaking of which, a missing real estate big shot until he's found with damn near an hour left to go in the movie. So, okay, we recalibrate and we think, okay, uh, maybe this is a, a doomed romance film or a sad romance film and it's kind of about a lost girlfriend. Until she returns with an incredibly complicated love scene, and there's still 40 <laughs> minutes left to go in the movie. Uh, and so I can understand confusion because, you know, the movie opens with the soon to be missing, maybe not so missing girlfriends show up to warn us about the soon to be missing real estate big shot. And we are trained as movie watchers to go, okay, well, that's the movie. That's the, that's the plot. That's what everything's going to be hung upon. It's going to mean anything. And Instead, we then come to the scene where everything clicks, which is this scene, uh, uh, the Harlingen case, uh, the case of the missing husband and father. And this is where we learn that this, that this was the story's atomic core all along. Uh, No matter how many times 
Bigfoot tried to brush this case aside to focus on his vengeance for Vincent and Delicato, or no matter, no matter how many times Doc got distracted by his love and his jealousy for Shasta Faye Hepworth, the Harlingen case, like a weed, just keeps popping up wherever Doc finds himself. And uh, it's almost as if life itself keeps trying to remind Doc about, hey, this is what's important. Like, this is what matters. You should be looking at this. And what matters, I think, and this is what I think is ultimately the point here, and, and Anderson's point, is what was so wonderfully elucidated by Drew McQueenie some 40 episodes back, something like that, uh, 35, 40 episodes back when he said, um, in times of chaos and anarchy and, and evil, such as Doc's time, such as our time, that it's little kindnesses that matter the most. You know, we, we see all of these superhero films, and, and not, which are fine. This is not, I'm not doing the Marty Scorsese versus Marvel thing here. <laughs> um, but we see all these superhero films about heroes banding together and risking everything to uh, save the world, save the galaxy, save the universe. Um, but there's a special kind of heroism to the little guy, like Doc, risking everything for just one small act. He's not saving the world. He's not defeating the Golden Fang. He's not unseating and impeaching Richard Nixon. Uh, but in a world of entropy, uh, in a world where eggs break and chocolate milks and glass shatters, a world in which, as we see a lot in um, these later PTA films, a world in which love is not always enough, a world in which inherent vice, uh, because of inherent vice, all things are destined to fall apart. He brings one thing back together. He brings a family back together. Just so a little girl can go a few more years without the little kid blues. And Chad, <laughs> um, I'm doing my best to hang on here. Isn't that a fucking miracle? Like in, in this sorry world, isn't that a fucking miracle yeah. to see that in a story uh, that we think is going to be hijinks and Leslie Nielsen gags and airplane goofs to see a filmmaker dedicate two and a half hours to saying this matters. This matters more than all this other stuff that you thought mattered. The way Doc thought this mattered. The way we, so often we and Doc are aligned, I think. And just like Doc, we go through the movie thinking this is all about his heartbreak for Shasta. And PTA, like the voice of God, kind of reaches through the Simpsons version of God with the big feet and the sunlight <laughs> coming through the clouds saying, no, no, that's, that's not what this is. It's not yeah. what's important. You could be doing something good here and I feel like, God, I don't know. That that's that's for me. That's a big reason why this scene clicks. That's why it clicks for me. Yeah. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because I know that you are a father, uh, and because um, uh, I, I felt like this scene might mean something to you. But that is one of the two major reasons. Three major reasons. We've gone through one already. Um, that is one of the three major reasons. Now that we've gone two of them. Uh, why this is the click scene for me. This is the scene where the movie says, no, 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 no. This, this is what inherent vice is about. This is, it's about sacrificing everything. We're all suffering from inherent vice. Doc and Coy and, 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 and Bigfoot have all been ruined by inherent vice at this point. But they all t work together in some way. Bigfoot throwing heroin in Doc's car so he has leverage. Um, Coy begging him to get out. Doc making the moves on the street. They all work together. So this one little girl named Amethyst 
can skip the little kid blues for a year or two longer and have her dad. And that's that's a fucking miracle. Now you now you're gonna vamp while I wipe my eyes. You're you're gonna vamp. <laughs> Give me your thoughts on that. Well, uh, I mean, one thing too, um, I guess that I would, I would say that now, uh, now that that it hits me that way, um, it probably took a. This is just to raise it up a little bit so we can go back down again <laughs> into the depths. But this scene, and please let me finish. This seemed absolutely nothing to me the first few times I saw it. Wow. Um, because, and, and this is why your earlier theory about if people can just hang in there until two, two, two hours and ten minutes into the movie. Um, part of the problem is it, if you don't follow what's happening enough, and I do think that that is a, an experience a lot of people have. I certainly had it, and I know many people have had that. If you don't follow the details of the plot enough, and this is a part where I'm just fully going to lose all film credibility and internet credibility, but I, I couldn't even tell you anything about Koi's character until probably the third or fourth time I watched I, I literally, I, I remember the, the part where he's in the institution, right? I was like, okay, mm. this guy's a part of something. I couldn't tell you if he's in the Golden Fang. I couldn't tell you if he's, I, I know he's like a basically good guy who's in a bad situation, and that's about all I can make out of this. And so I would say that like, if you just showed someone this scene, they're not going to have the same reaction. I really do think you have to understand the journey to have this scene hit you both Doc's journey and Koi's journey, right? Um, so with that being said, and thank you for not getting on me because I've changed my view since then. Well, Chad, I'm trying, I'm trying so goddamn hard you, not to cry right now. Uh, you've got all the breathing room context, you need. If you just had a context and here's this scene um, and didn't tell me anything else about it, I would say, that, that's nice. But And that's how I felt. I was like, okay, I'm not entirely sure if and I'm trying to remember my 2014 thoughts, but I feel like it's like, why are we back on this guy? I'm hearing, and I, we'll get this in a bit, because this is not my favorite, but close to my favorite part of the scene is the music in the scene. And I could talk for two hours about the songs that he plays, or that Johnny Greenwood wrote for this. Johnny Greenwood's um, uh, written for Amethyst, called Amethyst. But, yes, Amethyst. But the thing is, on a music nerd level, like Johnny, you know, when John Bryan was scoring his earlier films or whatever, you know, there, there was a, this was the moment that looped me back once I figured out what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> once I reconnected it. So again, this is the part I'm saying, you're smarter than me. You picked it up sooner than me. It took me a long time to get there, but I got there. And, and what I got was, this is the click moment if you're into the, <laughs> the Paul Thomas Anderson cinematic universe, which is, he's going to find a way to make it about the family. He always finds a way to make it about a family, yep. right? Every time. And, and I'm sure you've said that at some point on here, but so it's not breaking news, but this is the moment where you're like, okay, that's that's utopia. And again, this is the part where I was like, give me give me a couple hours with this guy in the therapy room because I got to figure out what's going on here because it not not that I want to know for him, but just because it's fascinating to me how often that comes up in his movies, both the quest for a family, but in this case, family is the is the goal. The only person that gets out of any of this, including Doc and Shasta, from what we can tell at the end is this guy who reunites with his family. And there's no yeah. complicated dynamics to it. It's very simple. And, and the way it connects musically, and this could be a stretch in my own brain, I love Johnny Greenwood. I love him. <laughs> and again, if you want to know why Phantom Thread clicked with me, it was because the second that score hit, I was like, whatever's happening, I'm in such good hands right now. If you thought this much about putting this score on this movie, you are telling me that you know what you're doing, I'm here, <laughs> right? Um, 
in the same way that when that, you know, well, I was still liking the first time, uh, when that song comes on, you know, the chest drives away, says, watch out, you know, watch your toes or whatever. When that song hits, I'm sure that's the point of when you're like, and I, I, you've probably even said this at some point, you're like, yep, this is my movie. Yeah, it, there's it that is. Thing. It's the moment. So, so the connection is like, it, it, I, I looked everywhere. He has not given a lot of interviews about a single song he wrote at the end of Inherent Vice. So there's not a lot of info on it. But it feels like he's like, let me reconnect you to the, not the God only knows part, but there's like a, there's like a coda-ish part to most, I, I, I'm not sure I'm on solid ground here. You can tell me. To, to a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson, this feels there's like a, the part where it's like a wind down. Like it's there's like, a lilting John Bryan coda to a lot of those there, early films. Yeah, you beat, you, beat, you beat me to the part I was setting up. It's, it's John Bryan. That's Johnny Greenwood's John Bryan song. And I'm like, yeah. look, if wow. you're going to spend five minutes talking about the Sam Cooke reference, which is awesome, last episode, um, I had no idea uh, that that had any pinch and connection at all. Yeah, um, it does. But it was fascinating. I'm like, okay, if he's operating on that level, there's no way that at some point he didn't be like, give me something like this, Johnny. <laughs> Give, give me Here's Brian. the scene, you know, I'm not a, maybe he told him this is the whole heart of the movie. He's like, hit me with that feeling, that feeling of, it's not, you know, it's the feeling you get when God only knows starts playing in Boogie Night. It's that same feeling again, yeah. exactly the same feeling that I'm locked into what the movie is. And it's that same idea of like, you know, the family's coming, but the family's regrouping, like bad stuff has happened, shit just went down. And now here comes the music and they're all going on. And you know, in this case, it's happy because as you pointed out, another episode um which is going to be one of my main points but now just point the, you know his wife's name is hope i mean come on he spelled it out for you and yeah Thomas Anderson didn't come up with that but no, that, that, that's that scene towards that right? yeah yeah so he geared it towards like let's make it about the whole point of all this nonsense and it's you know you could even argue it's a thing that would resonate a lot with conservative people because in theory, they're all about the family, but I think everybody's all about the family, whether it's an idealized family, whether it's the family we didn't have as a kid and we wanted, whether it's the family we make when we got into the world, whether it's the family we've made at Bright Wall Dark Room, whatever it is, like that's a central component of us as humans. We need a tribe, right? Uh, not in a tribalism way, but in a belonging way. And I get what you mean. Koi wants to get back there, and he says that, but he, I mean, he doesn't go on and on, but Doc takes that and runs with it. And as far as I know, other than saying, an answer that he would look in he he would try to help if his mom was the u.s who was strung out on drugs i, I don't <laughs> think there's any reference to his family anywhere like where does this guy come from i have no idea right? well in the book maybe doc, you do okay doc, right. doc in the book doc's from? mom and dad do play uh i wouldn't oh, really? call it a pivotal oh role God, but they're they're in there they're in there a they're lot there. oh yeah you they're 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 very comic oh. relief characters um uh, they don't they're there um they're there to be put mildly at risk or doc worries that they are at risk because of uh what he's doing the moves he's trying to make against the thing um clearly pta found them unnecessary and yeah i mean yeah i don't want to say that i I don't want to say that thomas pinchon doesn't know what he's doing i mean the man obviously has a plan but the book is uh, the book is very but he has a thomas pinchon way of doing things but the 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 Ironically, for a book that actually features Doc's family, the uh, the book is far less family centric. Um, oh, interesting. Then, I mean, it's not well, surprising that the the the, 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 that out, the book is far less. I mean, the book is just fucking cold compared to the film. It's a very, very cold, angry, lacerating. And I've said this a lot, but it is it is a very 
is downright apocalyptic, I think is what uh, uh, Ryan said on his episode, comparing um, it to the, the film, the book is downright apocalyptic um, and does not really end on a note of hope whatsoever. I did, yeah, I did read about the ending recently. Yeah, but even, in, even with the hope and the, the hope and coy stuff, it's a far more jaundiced view that uh, the, yeah. um, and I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't say he belittles the characters, but you don't get the sense that mm-hmm. Pinchon finds a lot of love for hope and coy whereas i feel like when you're watching this movie you feel like pta is like man i hope these kids make it i hope they make it um and i'm so but i'm so so so, i mean i do think that he anderson and this is me not knowing a ton about pension but saying it feels like he i don't even know if i want to say this out loud it, but it feels like he cares about humans so much more. <laughs> I don't know if that's an okay thing to say. Well, I mean, okay I, thing, I don't think Tom doesn't. I just think he observes them as fascinating things that happen and puts yeah. them into plots. Whereas yeah. I don't think PTA could ever make a movie like that. He's approached that at times. I don't think he's ever, I don't think he can take his humanity out of it. It's probably yeah, I think he feels his way that. through. Yeah. And, it, it, and, it's, and, it, and it's probably why he can't tell you what a lot of stuff is about. Is that <laughs> Well, you know, I always make this compare. I, I've made this comparison a couple of episodes before, but I'll say it again. Um, one of my all-time favorite authors, because I am very pretentious, is Don DeLillo. And uh, I, I actually prefer DeLillo, much prefer DeLillo to Pinchon, uh, if you want to get into that pretentious slap fight. But um, I'm on your side. That said, um, I love in an interview from the 90s what DeLillo's uh editor or agent said about him he's like he's like the way i try to explain him to myself is is that his brain operates on two halves one half of his brain belongs to a very normal american guy he likes to drink beer have hamburgers and watch watch the ball games the other half just happens to be a literary genius and i do not think those two halves communicate with each other or are aware of each other at all that's fascinating yeah and that's how i've always kind of explained the pta psychology to myself is he's this very kind of warm populist family-oriented guy that just wants to watch um uh sandler flicks but then yeah, this other or, or this, tcm, TCM or TC, or but this other half will click in then all of a sudden where all yeah. he can do is think about joan fontaine and rebecca sure. and how can he oh. spin how can he spin his own weird cold british erotic thriller around that um mm-hmm. not erotic thriller but you get what i'm saying but uh and that's that's who i think that's how i try <laughs> yeah, to explain the pta mind um but I'm so glad that you brought up family. I'm so, yeah. glad, I'm so glad you brought up family because that's something I did want to mention, which is, you know, I, I make a joke a lot on the show as well of the fact that in the, the Mark Maron interview that PTA did and Mark Maron's like, what's that movie about? What's that movie about? What's that movie about? <laughs> and then PTA finally goes, it's about love, baby. It's what they're all yeah. about. They're about love. Exactly. Yeah. I think, I mean, obviously families require love, but I think that if you really drill down even more than, than love, you're right. These films are about family, finding family. You, you, you see, like you, you, you find it in um, in Sydney and Boogie Nights, where you have these kind of uh, islands of, of of misfit toys trying to uh, find families as adults, re- reconstruct families out of the other misfits that they meet. You know, in something yeah. like you know Magnolia, you have people reeling from their shitty families and trying to reconcile that with what they have now. Punch Drunk Love obviously is about finding love, creating a family. Then you see in stuff, you, you begin to feel the, the pain of a family's absence in films like There Will Be Blood and The Master. And 
you see the compromises that have to be made to, to make a family and hold it together in something like Phantom yeah, Thread. Absolutely. But the ultimately, and this is my third reason for this <laughs> being the scene, Chad. All right, here we go. Um, ultimately, I think it is only it is only inherent vice that shows why family mm. is so important. I think it is the only film in PTA's oeuvre all of the films show a drive towards family or at least a hope towards family or the family is the thing that would only uh, salvage these characters, but if they could find it. Um, Inherent Vice is the only... There's there's bad families too. Sure, sure. (laughs) But Inherent Vice... Inherent Vice is the only film of his that I think underlines in bright, stark neon why that is so important and as it is portrayed in this film is because in a world this shitty in a world defined by inherent vice um a world in which everything falls apart this kind of love is the only thing that holds you and yours together and as simple and as you said kind of conservative an idea as that is um and holding together in the face of that haunting like gold-plated reality gold fang plated reality to quote you, that's what buoys are battered hearts. Uh, and for all its for all its for all its Rubik's cubing of detective movie tropes, uh, ultimately that's all Vice is. It's it's a movie in which every scene features characters cataloging to our hero what they've lost and what has fallen apart, what has fallen away from them. So that when we see this one family coming back together, it is a literal ray of sunshine that breaks through the screen the sequence begins with sun blasting yes. <laughs> right into the camera uh through the fog uh that i feel like maybe it's only because i've watched this film five thousand times i feel like this is pta standing on a soapbox going this is it this is why this is why i make them this is why i tell these stories and again yeah i i all of those films i think examine why family is important but I feel like this is the only film, or excuse me, all those films portray family as important. But I think this is the only PTA film that says why, why they are important and why he focuses on that. And I think it's, it's all right here in this click scene <laughs> where we see a nation falling apart. We see a city falling apart. We see, all these, we see love falling apart. And we see this one guy who is not a do-gooder, but he does good in putting this one family back to rights and again i'll just return to my earlier statement that's that's a fucking miracle that is a miracle to me um and i'm gonna get emotional i'm gonna get emotional about it again um but yeah that's the idea the idea that doc would be motivated to the point of murder and motivated to the point of losing his own life if he fucks this up but the idea that the idea that a little girl not having her dad that that is um well that that's just that's as he says he's uh, in an earlier scene he's that, that that don't sit right with me yeah and I'm, I'm getting emotional now again um and i i i know i know someone i know people i know someone who has a pain like that in their life mm-hmm. to see to see this guy risk everything to make sure to, to say no this this little girl's gonna get her dad god damn it like anything else happens the, the fang kills me bigfoot kills me uh we all get killed trying to pull this off 
um, Amethyst Harlingen is going to know her father. Um, I don't know. I, I that that that's the moment to me, as I say, when people look at this movie and they say they don't get it. I'm like, didn't you see that scene? Didn't you? <laughs> didn't you see this guy sure. risk everything so this girl could have her dad back? Like, whew, that's uh, that's the stuff to me. That's that's the that's the stuff, Chad. That's the stuff. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm, I'm, and you are sitting there being such a therapist right now, taking notes. I see the. I'm not I see taking it. notes. Really? Right. Yeah, no. I, I um, don't take notes as a therapist. But, but man, that's that's the that's what does it. That's the click. That's that's the yeah. third thing. That's the reason why this. Yeah. And I think I think that's why I think that's why this movie exists. I think I think BTA saw that and he's like, yeah, that's it's, it's that's everything. It's fascinating to hear you me. say, because you said it a few different times in the same way. So I, I feel like whether you're conscious of it or not that. And I love that you're such an editor. I love that you're such an editor that you catch me and go, yeah, you said the same. No, you're doing that. No, you're no. like, when you say, no, I've heard I mean, you like, say the same thing in three different ways. That is such an editor. When I say that in editing, it's because I was like, get that out yeah. you've said it too many times. What I'm saying is a therapist, the, the, and I'm not trying to treat you like a therapist, but I'm saying the, the way that you listen as a therapist is for patterns and themes, right? Like that's what you're hearing in these stories you hear every hour. Um, so, my, my brain is trained in a certain way to listen for stuff that gets repeated. And, and a thing that you, and I, I, I'd have to go back and listen to the other episodes, I, but I'm guessing it, but you don't frame it as Koi finally gets to see his daughter. And me as a dad, that's where, that's where it hits me. But you keep, you keep saying, Amethyst gets to see your dad. Amethyst is going to grow up with that. So I'm like, okay, there's something there. Cause you and I are both like, yes. Also as a kid who's can imagine not seeing my parent, I'm like, Oh my God. That yes, how great for her. But I'm only thinking of that because you brought it up. Because my head is in, oh my God, that guy finally gets to see his daughter. I can't even imagine going a week without seeing my daughter, let alone however long this guy went. Well, I have less sympathy for Coy because he made his own choices. <laughs> um, and so I honestly, well, I, I, I you know, you remember the fact the song that's playing in the scene is not called Coy. It's called Amethyst. That's who this it is, is for. Amethyst, the scene is but for that's Amethyst. Because Coy gets to see Amethyst. Sure, but. We're, and it gives him hope, right? <laughs> but they are working to fight the little kid blues, yes. as Koi says. They get that sometimes. No, no I course. think, I think for me, I think for me, it's less. It's more because, um, yeah, I, I feel sympathy for Koi, but I also feel like Koi, yeah. you know, Koi knowingly made choices that took him away from his family, and Koi did abandon his family, and so I have less sympathy for him than I do someone like Amethyst who was born a junkie uh, because her parents were junkies um and oh sure yeah never never knew her father and because of that because of that sorrow her life was going to be sorrowed from the very beginning with again what koi says those little kid blues and to me this film has always been about these it because they all know the pain of the little kid blues they all know the pain of loss this film to me is about how these three very broken guys koi and bigfoot and most especially doc Mm -hmm on some level are all saying the same thing, which is this doesn't sit right with us. This isn't right. Yeah. Like we know that she's going to, and that, that's what almost makes it more heroic to me is everyone knows the little kid blues like in here advice are inevitable, but mm-hmm. by God, if we can put that off for at least another year or two, that is worth, that's worth everything. And that's, 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 that's the thing that gets me. It, it, it's almost the futility of the act is what makes it so here is what makes it so heroic is um, mm-hmm. 
but I do think for me, it's always, it's, it's for Amethyst. There's the reason why this yeah. song is called Amethyst and not Koi. <laughs> and I will also say in a, in a talk with the Washington Post. Oh no, you got here, facts. Okay. Here it comes. Um, All right. I lose. <laughs> when he was doing the press cycle for this film and uh, PTA was kind of musing aloud, you know, everyone's asked me, you know, why this book? And I'm not going to bother with the impression because I'm too miserable right now. <laughs> but uh, everyone's asked, you know, why adapt this book? Uh, and he said, and he, he jokes, you know, I always joke with everyone. And say, well, this was the easiest one because it's, it's the shortest. <laughs> but he said that what really appealed to him was the thought uh, that Pinchon's in his late 70s and he's still harboring regret and pain about this era of 1970. He's still looking back and he's pissed off. That's worth something. And right then in the interview, his publicist entered the room and said one more question uh, mm-hmm. to, the, to the interviewer. And the interviewer says, so when, when PTA ended with, that's worth something, investigating why, why he looked back, it's worth something. Uh, the journalist said, you know, well, what do you hope this movie is worth? And Anderson paused for a second and he started, he starts giving these kind of elliptical answers about the movie's plot, uh, about how families reuniting might make people vaguely hopeful and about how he feels to really miss and how it feels to really miss people and how he hopes that Inherent Vice will make people laugh. But then he circles back to the original text and he says, he said, quote, Pinchon talks about those little kid blues that haunt Doc. That's such a great line. And then in that same cycle, he did an interview with uh, LA Magazine. And he said, those three words, little kid blues, were the reason to make the movie. Little kid blues. I remember reading and underlining that. No one deserves to go through life, although he agrees with you, without seeing his daughter. But the idea, that idea, that little kid blues, that that is something that a child's misery or a child's unhappiness, even if you're only preventing it for six more months or a year, that that is worth risking everything for, that that is yeah. the putting a child's family back together so that that child is protected for a little while longer from the realities of the golden thing. If someone would be willing to do that, I don't know. They're all right in my book, Chad. They're all right in my yeah. book. And uh, that's <laughs> Doc's all right in my book because of that. Yeah. Um, boy, we are just getting so heavy here. We are getting so heavy. I'm gonna need you to prescribe me something mm-hmm. when this is over um, because we're getting we're getting so so heavy. Um, well, something I want one one other point I wanted to talk about. Sure. Um, is uh, something, that, and I'm gonna use two words that's gonna shock you in regards to this scene. Uh, something that I find so lovely and heartbreaking at the same time is the way you know so much of this film feels very static and very very kind of motionless uh and a lot of people motionless motionless like static you know a lot of people can kind of complained about that that uh, and i think even ellswood you know there's some bad blood between he and pta because of this film and ellswood has said he's never going to work with the man again um And that's uh, probably some of the click I didn't feel, by the way, was the, the staticness. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. <laughs> and, and Ethan's Ethan's episode blew my mind on that. There's 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 actually a lot there's a lot more movement than you think. It's just because there are so many mm-hmm. slow push-ins that you kind of like. Well, that's what the whole yeah, movie is. Um, well, hell, you know, there's a lot of slow push-ins, and uh, there will be blood out here. Anybody complaining? Um, 
so anyway, so much of this scene though is one continuous shot outside of Doc's driver's side window and it tracks the conversation between the two men with that really lovely line, you know, when Coy's like, uh, you know, they say when you save someone, the Native Americans say when you mm -hmm. save someone's life, uh, you're responsible for it. And I love Doc's, Doc won't accept the comment. He's like, some hippie said that, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you saved your own life, now you get to live it. Um, the camera tracks the conversation between the two men, but then as soon as it's over, it, it starts to float and it pulls out so that we can yeah. see Hope and Coy and the, the family Harlingen reunite in that gorgeous orange light, that warm light emanating from the house. And then as if seeing them reunite is too intimate, the camera actually pushes back into the car as if that is too intimate and powerful a moment for us to be looking at. It's not ours. And so the camera, it's still one shot, swings back into Doc's window to give the Harlingens their moment. And Doc even does the same. He lowers his eyes. Like he can't, like this is not his to look at. Like he is, which is so tragic to me, but this is not his joy to experience. This is not his. And where does he look when he lowers his eyes? He looks to the empty car seat next to him where Shasta Faye, the love of his life, should be, but isn't. And hearing Hope's yeah. yelp of happiness and victory, he looks to that empty seat and he thinks of the woman who isn't doing that for him and thinking of all that he could have demanded from the Fang when he had that heroin. Um, and this is, but and knowing that this, this is what he asked for. That is what makes Doc. That's what makes Doc special. That's what redeems him. Uh, <laughs> is he still comes out of this a loser? He didn't get the girl. He didn't. I, we can talk about the, the scene, the, the final scene of the movie means, but he oh, didn't. No, you, you gotta, you gotta he, <laughs> he, he didn't get the girl. He didn't ask for the girl. He asked for this family to get back together so he could sleep at night. And that is what made stock special. That's what redeems him. Um, because he did the, he did what was the right thing to do. And when the shot breaks, when that shot, uh, that swinging back and forth out of the window shot breaks, it's far away now. Doc in his car, the Harlingen's going into their house, and this story is now over. Now the story is over because this is what the story was always about. And it's like a rubber band snapping when that one shot, for me anyway, when that one shot breaks, it is as if saying this was the story all along. Now, it's, now it can come to an end. But you had to wait till we got to this. Not Mickey Wolfman being found, <laughs> not Shasta coming back, but this. And... Um, yeah, and also special shout out to the way Jenna Malone jumps up and down inside the house as it slow <laughs> slow dissolves to the sea. Yeah, That's no, um, a long time Jenna Malone fan here. So yeah. Uh, well, PT himself said, "Hey, what's better than a close up of Jenna Malone?" It's pretty high yeah, up and high up there in my list of things, as he said. But um, that one shot, it's I think it's a to keep using this word because I think my my faculties of cogency are abandoning me. Although they did allow me to say faculties of cogency. Um, yeah. Pretty impressive. Thank you. Um, they're they're leaving me. <laughs> but um, this to me is where the rubber band snaps. This to me is where the movie says, "Okay, now we're over. Now, now it's all wrap up." But this, mm -hmm. this is why I made you sit in a chair in a dark room, looking at a bright wall uh, <laughs> uh, for two and a half hours, is because I wanted to get you here, and I wanted you get, I wanted you to see this because this is what matters, and. Doc's sacrifice matters. What Doc loses to make this happen matters. And that's why this scene, that's why this scene matters to me. And yeah. it's also why I shared it to you is I needed someone with a big enough brain and heart to talk to me about it. This, this, this is. No, you're doing great. 
<laughs> Thanks, Dad. Um, <laughs> but uh, thank you. Um, but yeah, this that that, really, that it's, it's, all of, uh, yeah. all of those reasons why to to swing back to what you said at the top. That's why this is the click scene for me. Um, yeah. This is where everything clicks, and this is where all the lines of force converge, and this is the moment where I could feel, I could feel PTA reading the book and go and and, and saying, "This is why I make this fucking movie." Is all of these people working together to make sure this little girl doesn't get the little kid blues? That's worth everything to me. Um, all the other stuff, the jokes, the seventy stuff. I've been there. I can do it again. I've done Boogie Nice, cool. But you know, if I were to get inside his head, if we were both to play armchair psychiatrist with uh, PTA, my yeah. argument would be him. I could see him reading this scene and going, "Holy shit, this is this is everything I've ever done. This is everything I've ever said. It's in one scene. It's in one scene." That's my that's, that's my def, that's my definition and defense of this moment as the click. Yeah, no, I think that's a great defense, and I wouldn't argue against it. Um, that's wise. I would I would add on to it uh, my own my own, well I mean because there's the the earlier idea of the the Rorschach you know because mm-hmm. um, I until you said it had never once thought of anything that Doc's doing in that scene as remotely being attached to thinking of Shasta right I, I, unless that's in the book and you knew that no it's not otherwise you are that is what Travis wants to have happen <laughs> that's what Travis wants Doc to be thinking and and again. It could be true, and you'll never know because he's never going to pop on something and say, uh, if he even even filled that in in his own head to begin with. So yeah. that's the thing where the the feeling that happens in that scene, regardless of where it comes from or what it's about, on Doc's side, I think we've all been in that position where, I mean, it's kind of a dual position because one is witnessing someone else's happiness and how how wonderful that is that there's goodness in the world, right? Yeah. At the same time, realizing, but it's not my good. It's not my happiness. Yeah, and, and this is the the approximation is as close as I can get, and then there's a sadness that comes along with that, right? Um, and I do think to stretch it way too far, I do think that sadness is a, it's a part of little kid blues, um, and, and so it's just. And my own, and I love the phrase. You know, I've, I've whatever else I did or didn't pick up from the movie, I certainly remember that phrase from right on because I I think that's a, a phrase. Whatever day Pynchon came up with that, he probably ordered an extra drink of pizza. Or like, that's a that's a great line. Right? Little kid blues. Everybody instinctively, like the second you hear that, you're like, you know that what that is. Always existed. I know what that is. That phrase has existed since the beginning of time. He just was the one to put it in the universe, right? But the 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 fascinating thing about people when you get to know them on an intimate level, emotionally, um, and, and this is not my idea at all. I stole it from my my favorite therapist um because he's still alive so i shouldn't refer to him in the past but he's very old uh but his name's Irvin yalom and I've, I've referenced him in an essay many years ago on it's, a, it's a wonderful life um but he's an existentialist uh is his, i mean he basically invented the field of existential therapy so existentialism wow. existed therapy existed um certainly people like Roland may and other people uh introduced him to it but he was the one that wrote the book he literally wrote a textbook called existential psychotherapy um but the reason that I'm bringing him up is one of my favorite quotes from him is him quoting some priest or something, but he basically said, there's this priest listening confession for 50 years, right? And it was either Yalom or uh, whoever Yalom was reading who asked the priest this, saying, what have you learned about humans from listening to him talk for 50 years? And I'm going this and people can look it up, but it was something to the effect of, there is no such thing as a grown-up. There is no such thing as a grown-up. We are all... 
every single person that goes into confession, and I would say a lot of people come into therapy, that's what you spot. You're like, yes, these are people that have grown up suits on, but we're all these little kids. So the, the idea of little kid blues is even just specific to little kids. Like I know the grown up version of what the little kid blues feels like. I remember feeling it as a kid, but I certainly know the adult version. Um, and it's a very specific feeling that I don't even think there's a great word for, but we all know what it is. And it's this, it, I mean, it's always a lot of possible things it feels like. There, there's just a lot to it. It's a complex emotion because there's the sadness, there's the innocence of you know being young enough to have the little kid blues. There, there's just so much going on and I probably am making a mess even trying to explain it. But it instinctively makes sense to people when they hear it. Everyone walks into that phrase because everybody, and this you know, priest was in his 70s already saying this, he's like, I don't feel grown up either. Like everybody feels like, when's the point that I'm gonna feel like a grown up? Um, and that's kind of the mystery when you see anybody whose behavior you don't understand is you try to picture like, oh, this was this was a nine-year-old once, or this was a five-year-old once. Like, oh, okay, then, then this all makes a lot more sense. Whether it's really obvious childish behavior or whether it's very sophisticated adult maneuvering that hides childish behavior, and not childish in a condescending way. Just like we are all waiting for the point when we feel like adults, and that never comes. <laughs> and that's a big part of the drive that I feel like is behind the, the idea to find I need to make something meaningful. I need to do it, you know, this is a very crude way of saying what doctors, but I need to do an adult thing. I need to do a thing like a good, a good person would do, like a good adult, right? I need to do, yeah. let me do a thing. Um, and he's, and he's guided on that. And I can't tell if I've totally lost you if you're totally into it. So I'll just. No, I'm enthralled right now. I'm okay, ask, I'm, because, I, need, I need, I need to ask for this guy's number, by the way. <laughs> the no, he's, and, and by the way, I mean, I'll, I'll put out an ad for him. If, I don't know what to say. He's like 90 right now, but the last that I checked in on him a couple of years ago, he, you know, retired long ago, but is literally doing online, like, he probably has Zoom now, but whatever it was a couple of years ago, he's doing therapy with people across the world. Um, and he's like, this is great. Like all these people pay me like, you know, he doesn't care about the money part. He's like, I get to talk to people in Africa and help them right now. So he's, wow. he's living his best life, picking people to see for like epic three hour sessions to like solve their existential. So he's, he's the best. So and you know what he—he's fantastic. Um, and you know what he's doing. He, he's doing. He's doing a good thing. He's saving people. He he's is. Out there well, saving he, people. But he is—he is not a—he is not a no-gooder no doing good. He's. A, oh, he, he was—he was already a do-gooder beforehand. He—he's uh, one of those people that you're like, how do these people exist? But anyway, I can do a whole podcast on him too. But the the the, the point of it is to say like, I, I don't even know what the point is. Where was I going? Uh oh, that's that's another that's another I bit of increment vice bingo. Where you're like, what was I saying with this? Yeah. Well, no, we were we yeah. were we were talking. You were talking about the idea of how, yeah, everyone like this idea that that no one feels complete, that like that that, yeah. that everyone feels like everyone a child, feels that, like, broken, and like a kid. yeah, and we're all waiting. We're all kind of waiting for that moment. You know, we're waiting. We're all waiting for the click scene. We're waiting for the click exactly, scene in our movie yeah. where we're gonna and, go. And, oh, and we are. And, now now and, I'm an adult because <laughs> I did this. Or and, I, and I, movies have partially trained us to wait for that in our lives. And yeah. that's the other uh, meta piece we can get into is like, I don't oh, know if people walked around. I mean, we could the movies ruined my life. I've always been there. The, the, the movies, movies ruined, ruined a lot of people's life because before movies existed, how did people say like, this is not, this doesn't match up to how I thought it was going to go. Like, how did you think it was <laughs> wow. going to go before there was movies? Yeah, actually, I think I, mean, I, yes, I, I look at movies stories, as a lifeline. I get it. Well, movies oh, are absolutely. movies. Movies are a lifeline for me. But yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna. Argue. No, I don't hear that they're life ruiners. I'm just saying they're more in the area of romance. Uh, I mean, they, 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 may, they maybe have written about that. Yeah, they maybe have elevated my expectations of a click yes, moment to that. come. <laughs> uh, 
in which I'm going to, yeah, in which I'm going to Martin Riggs my way (laughs) into salvation (laughs) one Christmas Eve. Uh, I'm still waiting for that moment. Anybody out there um, who wants to pull a heist or a kidnapping or something on Christmas, I'll put a stop to it. Two hour mark. But Um, (laughs) so one of my last points that I didn't get to to was about, well, it's because I think, um, and I feel like there's a version of this. I'm sure there are in other professions or mentorships or whatever. The, the specific thing, and I feel like this is my Rorschach part that I'm throwing into the movie, but it's impossible for me to watch that scene because what happens in the car is like, okay, here's the big moment, right? Mm-hmm. The, cul- the culmination of the journey. Yeah. Here comes the part where they share profound insights. And, you know, Koi starts down that road and Doc just cuts all of it. Obviously, ah, bullshit, someone made that up. Uh, but he, he keeps giving the credit back to Koi, even though we know that Doc engineered a lot. Like, without Doc, this doesn't happen, right? Yeah. It, but he specifically says to him, you saved your own life, now you get to go live it, right? Um, but that feeling, not, not, not the... It feels like when you say goodbye to a therapy client they've been working for a long time, when they finally actualize, when they finally, this is the part where I'll throw up, when they finally like reach that moment when it's over and you, on both sides, you feel like this is, this is, the, this is the moment and it doesn't, yeah. it's just a moment, right? And on one hand, it's profound and deep and, and another one, there's no way words can convey what just happened there, right? Like, how do you convey, you just gave me my life back, you know, or you know, no, no, you did the work, you know, and that's what I said to everyone whenever we get to that point, and you know, we always get to that point, but when you do, I always push that credit back and say, you, you saved your own life, you know, and I'm just so proud of that person, and I feel like there's a part of Doc that's just both happy and proud, like he's, and it's weird, because it's not the dynamics at all, but he's like, he's watching his, like, someone he's helped along the way, but he's really only checked in with him a few times, but he's helped yeah. him get to this point, and then he literally, in ways that I don't know if Coy's ever aware of, engineers this whole thing to provide this thing for him that gets him back to himself and gets him back to hope and and he literally like lets him back out into the world like that's the car door opening sends him back into the world and i'm like that's and that's a specific thing that i know if if you're not a therapist you wouldn't specifically know but i feel like some version of that exists like whether it's the the coach you know saying good job on jv or ready for varsity whatever it is there's something like you've leveled up here right like you're you've reached this I'm so glad that I got to be a part of this journey or help you in some way, but you get the credit for it. Go enjoy your life. There's no big hut. There's no big like finale. It's just like, there you go. And then there's a sadness on the person left behind a little bit. This is the therapist behind the curtain. You're a little bit sad. Like, I, I don't, I don't get to know what happens after this. Yeah. This is, and, and on one end that's great because who doesn't want to just leave with the idea that jumping up and down, <laughs> uh, you know, your wife jumping up and down and your kid running around is where it ends. Of course, in real life, that whole life plays out, and he's, you know, ten years later, grounding his daughter for dating some guy. But in the movie world, that's just where it ends. He's just happy. He's just yeah. you can make up the rest from there. Like Doc goes back to his life. He's got to figure out the Shasta stuff. He arguably doesn't by the end. Coy's done. His journey's over. He's completed the arc. Like that's what we want as readers, as movie watchers, as therapists, as parents. As humans, I think, is that we just want to see somebody, if it can't be us, you know, we want to see somebody have that and, and to believe that's a real thing that can happen. So that, that's, a, that's where it hits me, uh, you know, several watches later. Well, I, I, that's amazing. A or a bad woo? That's yeah. a good, that's a good woo. That's a good, that's okay, a, good. that's an emotionally and exhausted. I know this is very important to you, so I, I don't want to. 
No, that's perfect. And that's that's where we that's and you know what? That's where we need to end it because it doesn't that that's that's perfect. That's magic. That's why this scene's magic. Um oh and plus uh if we go any further, if we go any further, we're gonna need a canoe to get out of here because I'm gonna start crying so hard. Oh, Chad, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this. You 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 oh you're the perfect perfect man for the job this scene to get me through it and i thank you for for carrying me through it as you did um i mean obviously everybody knows where to find your work because we've spoken about it you are the editor-in-chief of bright wall dark room again the best independent online film website you're you're gonna find it's it's as good as it gets it's the best and i'm not saying that because of my stuff you can ignore my stuff but everybody else on there is absolutely amazing and you should read them uh as often as you can uh, because it is just some of the best, most incisive, most human writing. I mean, all, most of the writing on the internet is ostensibly by humans, but this is the most deeply human writing I think you're going to find on film. Where we let humans be humans, yes. Yes, yes. But tell people where they can find you if they want to chit-chat with you and pester you online. Yeah. Um, I, I, I they can find you on Twitter. Broadcast off. Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly more than a more than a few of the Bright Wall Darkroom tweets are from me, so you can find find my bad jokes on there. Um, I have a uh, personal Twitter that I started to use a little bit more, but not super much. Um, just everybody underscores, or is that the word? Underscore? Underscore. Whatever. Underscore. Everybody, Singular. Under, this is why nobody can ever find me. Everybody underscore cares, um, which sounds like some sarcastic thing. If anyone wonders, I had the question whenever anyone gets something to say. It's based on the Elliot Smith song from uh, 15 years ago. Um, so that's where it comes from. It has nothing to do with like making a joke that nobody cares or that saying that I, you know, everybody You're such a dad, Chad. You're such a dad. Yeah. Well, You're I mean, Elliot Smith. Elliot. You're Elliot Smith. So, Elliot, Elliot Smith. Elliot Smith's my guy. So, um, so yeah, that's where it comes from. If anyone ever wondered, it has nothing to do with therapy or movies. Um, everybody underscore cares. I, I've always wanted to explain that. So thank you for, for allowing me. <laughs> Ultimately, uh, that then, was yeah, the goal of this episode. And then like my, my, my life's work on the internet anyway is, uh, is the entirety of Firewall Dark Room. That's, Poured my uh, my heart and soul into that for the last uh, eleven years. So um, something I am very proud to be a part yeah. of, and I was very proud to have you yeah. and uh, be a part of this. Yeah. Oh, jeez, Dad! Very wonderful day when you came into our life. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, you say that now, yeah. but then think back about all the times I've I've submitted late and panicked and didn't want to uh, yeah. finish a piece. Never, never been aware. I mean, you, you've you've made me uh, snap into parent role a little bit because you, you you want that sometimes. But... <laughs> never actually stress about it ah, so all right. speaks, the work speaks for itself and we oh, geez. The work, so. well thank you very much and uh thank and you i just so- want to say oh seriously and i know you'll maybe edit this out but this is this is fantastic this project you've been doing this, oh, well, thank you so not much. as a dad as, as a peer it's really great to stay i mean I'm, I'm all about people getting into stuff that they're into like way too much uh <laughs> Because it just reveals so much about the person, and then for the audience, also reveals so much about the thing. And the, and this is a beautiful thing that's out in the world um, as a movie. And then you've added onto this thing. If someone finds this, even 20 years from now, they watch the movie. They're like, how? Like, what is going on here? Well, guess guess who's broken down every scene? Here you go. Lives forever. So, I'm proud to be oh. a part of it. But it's awesome that you've done it. And I'm I'm, I'm cheering you on as you you head down the. Uh, well, bless your heart. Thank uh, you for saying word? that. What's the word? What do you head down? Home stretch? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're we're sliding the home here. We're we're done. Yeah, you're 
we're we're just just uh, we're in the final minute we're in the final minutes so this this, the movie's over it's all (laughs) it's all denouement after this like we're 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 and i do hope uh blake's listening that we got we got that amethyst song playing in there (laughs) you know he's gonna cue it up now uh well blake let's hear it thank you for for coming on thank you for uh holding me together emotionally during a very tough time uh for a very tough scene i appreciate that uh thank you for again for coming on thanks to everyone for listening to my blubbering and please join me uh, and my very special guest who uh, is going to join me next time as we slip into the sea of time and go swimming in a place where the american fate will mercifully fail to transpire But now that Doc's good deed is done, what comes next? Does life just go on, marching parallel to the forces of evil trying to taint it? What comes after redemption? Anything? We'll see what we can see next time on Increment Vice.